we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. Morning, everybody. I want to welcome you. So glad that you are here. Thank you for joining us. Uh, those that are online, uh, those that are in the sanctuary down there at the bridge at True Worth. And uh, we have a lot to do, so I'm just going to dive in here this morning. And I want to begin with a question. I want you to wrestle with this question all morning long. If you were going to ask God to do something, and you knew that God would do it, what would you ask? Maybe it would be something in your marriage. Maybe something in a kid. Maybe some sort of grip of anxiety or depression or some sort of worry that just will not let you go. Maybe you just need a job that you enjoy. You're just sick and tired of your job. And man, God would just give you a job that you enjoy. If you knew that you could ask God to do anything, you needed help with a habit, you just needed some sort of power in your life, what would you ask God to do? And would you believe that God could really do it? That God had the power to do it? In Mark chapter 9, there was a story of this young dad, and he had this kid, and this kid was emotionally, spiritually, physically tormented. And the dad couldn't do anything about it. So he goes to the disciples and says, well, you do something. They can't do anything about it. So he goes to Jesus, and he kind of asked him, and he says, this is what he says. We'll put it on the screen. He says, if you can do anything, if you can, take pity on us, help us. And Jesus kind of notices that little part, if you can. He says, if you can. And then he says, man, I got this underlined story in my Bible. Everything is possible for the one who believes. What would your life be like if you really believed that the power of God was available to you In every single area of your life, what would your life be like if that power was really moving and acting in your life? Uh, Years ago, I mean many years ago, when our kids were small, Dallas and I had some friends in the church. They had kids about the same age as ours, and they liked to go to the lake, and their family had had a cabin out on Possum Kingdom, and they had a boat, and they would invite us to go out there with them. And the kids would do a little bit of boating and tubing and stuff. And every once in a while, the grown-ups would do a little water skiing. And the, the wife of, this, uh, of my friend, uh, she would go slalom, and this boat would just pop her right on top of the water. I said, well, man, if she can do it, I can do that, one ski. So I jump out in the water, and they throw me one ski. I get the rope, and I say, hit it. And, man, I don't care. You know? And so I'm just convinced the boat doesn't have enough power. I, I, I say, yeah. So I quit. I say, I'm done. I'm, I'm no longer in on this. And so later on that night, Raleigh and I are sitting in the boat. 
the kids are getting ready for bed. It's night. We're looking at the stars. You're kind of sitting out there on the dock. The boat's kind of rocking forth. And I'm up there sitting in the driver's seat, and I'm looking at the dashboard. I don't know anything about boats. And I see this little button there. It says power tilt. And I say, Ronnie, what's this button for, power tilt? He says, well, you know, you push that button, I think it kind of it gives the boat a little, no, it's not my boat, but it kind of gives a little supercharge. Hey, tomorrow morning, I'm going to try again and get up on that ski. And when I say hit it, I want you to hit that button right there and then let it rip. I said, okay, okay, got it. So I'm out there in the water. I'm on one ski. I'm all ready to go. I say, hit it. And he hits it. Hit that power to it. And boom, that boat goes from here to here just like that. Power. Boom. And it's going, I mean, like a race car, like a cannon. It's just scooting across the lake. And I am up on top of the water. I mean, I, I have all the power I need and more I can handle. Okay, I'm just saying. And I'm just scared to death. I mean, I'm just going across. And so I, I go like this to slow down. Well, the kids that are watching, they misunderstood. They said, he wants to go faster. Boom. <laughs> and now the boat's not even on the water. It's kind of hydroplane. It's barely across. And I'm just like this. And I'm t- if I would have had any sanity, I would have let go of the rope. But I was so scared, I just held on as hard as I could. You know. And then finally, we hit a big wave. Boom. I crashed and burned. I face planted. I mean, right on my face. And for the next six months, when I smiled, only one half of my mouth went up. I mean, it was just, oh, it was just so painful. And so I, I rolled probably three miles on top of that water. But for a few glorious moments, I had power. I had all the power I needed and more I could handle. We all need more power. We all want more power. What would it be like if you believe, you really believe, you could go to God, if you talk to God, and you said, God, I need power right here, and God did it. Do you talk to God like that? Amen. Maybe you got a hard conversation you need to have. And you don't want to mess it up. It's going to be a very challenging conversation. And you need the power to speak the truth in love. Maybe you have a kid that strayed way off the reservation. I mean, just really just, God, I need your power. Maybe maybe you just need a really good friend. You've not been able to develop any friendships. God, I just need the power somehow to connect me with someone where I really have some friendships because I'm so alone. Maybe you have a habit. God, could you? I, I need the power to quit smoking. I need the power to quit drinking. I need the power to stop something, God. I, I just need some power to resist that temptation. I need to know God. I just, I just need to know the power of God, to know that I'm forgiven. What would it be like, really, if you thought your soul had a little power tilt button, boop, like on that boat, you just flip the switch in your soul, and this power just flowed in you. We are in the third week of a message series where we're looking at this thing called the church that God has created. We're calling it one more. And we're learning what the Bible has to say about the kind of people God has called us to be. 
and kind of going backwards to, before we go forwards. We learned last week, uh, a couple of weeks ago, that Jesus is creating a community where everybody is welcome. That up to the time Jesus shows up, God seems to be kind of focused on Israel. And then Jesus reveals God's heart. No, it's not just the Jewish people. It's not just Israel. It's everybody that God is interested in. And that you and I, for some reason or another, as human beings, we like to divide the world up into us and them. There's those people, then there's us. And God doesn't do that. There's no us and them in God's kingdom. It's just us. It's just Jesus in us. And so we just kind of have this idea that when you come onto this campus or you log online, whether it's on Sunday morning, Saturday night, or during the weekday, that everybody who calls this their church home, that you have a big old everybody's welcome sign on the crawl of your face, that when people experience you, they feel welcome. Because in Jesus' church, everybody's welcome. This is not your church. It's his church. He says, I'm building my church, not your church. And everybody is welcome. And then we learned also that in this community, Jesus is building the letter B, that nobody's perfect. And it's kind of odd. It's kind of an odd thing that when people give their life to Jesus and they get baptized, they come up out of that water, and after they've been around the church a few days, all of a sudden, it kind of subtly starts creeping in. Well, you see people who don't follow Jesus. You see people who are not even trying to follow Jesus, and you kind of get a little feeling like, you know, you're just a little better than them. It's kind of a subtle thing to sort of, kind of sort of look down on those people a little bit. As if you know something and you're better than they are. And Jesus teaches, no, 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 no. That's a goofy way of thinking. In my kingdom, I'm telling you, there's nobody who's perfect except God. And nobody can throw a stone or criticism. Nobody can shame or blame. Nobody can do that. Nobody. Because everybody is imperfect. And so that is why last weekend, some of you, some of you said, you know, you kind of come stood here, and you stood underneath this cross in all of our services all weekend long. And even online, we had some people do this. In their own way, symbolically. You stood before this cross and you said, you know what? Hey, I'm not pretending. I'm not playing games anymore. I'm not ashamed to let everybody. I need God in my life as an invitation to everybody to know it's okay to do that. No pretending. No mask here. No thinking you got your act together. I don't. I need help. God, I need you. Would you help me? This weekend, we learned another dynamic about this thing called the church that God is creating through Jesus, and it is that let us see that anything is possible. And this is particularly true for people who most need power in their life. It seems like the people who get power are the people who come to a point of realizing, I am powerless. And the people who think they are powerful actually have no power. So I'm going to take you back in the Bible to Genesis chapter 17. We're going to go back beyond that, but that's what we're going to pick up in the Bible. If you want to use your Bibles in Genesis chapter 17. And we're going back to the story of Abram and Sarai. 
And over in Genesis chapter 12, God has been has fed up with kind of what's going on in the world. And he calls hey, Abram and Sarah. And they say, Abram and Sarah, you're going to have a family. Now, if you were to ask Abram and Sarah, hey, if you could ask God to do one thing, one thing, and, and you knew that God would do it, what would it be? It would be to have a kid. Because Abram and Sarai were infertile. They had known the pain of infertility. And in the ancient world, it was a social stigma not to have children. It was economic pain not to have children. So they would pray. They would pray, God, would you please give us up a child? So in Genesis chapter 12, God says, you know what? I'm going to give you not just one kid. You're going to be, I mean, lots of kids. And through your family, I'm going to bless the whole world. They're 75 and 65 when that happens. Now, over time, they don't get the kid. God doesn't do what they think that God's going to do in a timely way. So they get a little impatient. You ever got impatient with God and take things in your own hands? So Sarah really wanted to think they have a kid. So she kind of has, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my my maid saver, Abraham, Abe. Her name is Hagar. So he gives, she gives her maid to him, kind of like a provisional wife, kind of like a backup wife, kind of like a golfer who's a mulligan just in case. You know what I'm talking about? Just in case, just in case, just in case. And they have a kid. A just in case kid. A mulligan kid. And God said, that's not part of my plan. That's what we pick up over here in Genesis chapter 17. Years have passed. They're now 90 and 80. I mean, they're getting old. Verse 21, excuse me, chapter 17. Verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Stop right there. Those four words are very important. In this story, you're going to learn that names are very important. Names are very important. And it doesn't say the Lord appeared and said, I am the Lord. It doesn't say that. In the ancient Canaanite language, the word for God is El, E-L. It doesn't just say, I am God. It says in the Hebrew, literally, I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. I am God All-Powerful. I am thunder. I am rain. There is no power that ever exists that does not come from my power. I am Almighty, All-Powerful God. That's who I am. Now, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. Still in verse 1. I want you to walk before me faithfully, and I want you to be blameless. Here's what he's saying. Abram, I want to enter into a relationship with you where you and I walk together. I want you to be faithful. I want you to surrender your life to me. Your agenda, your control over your life. Go where I ask you to go. Do what I ask you to do. And I want you to be blameless. I know you're not going to be perfect, but I want you to make that goal to be perfect like I'm perfect And I'm going to help you along the way. But you at least make that your goal. Well, you're trying in that way. You're trying. You're making the effort in that way. Okay? That's what I want you to do in this relationship. And I will do something in your life that's amazing. Notice he doesn't say, I will do whatever you ask me to do. Didn't say that. Verse 2. Then I will make my covenant 
my unbreakable promise between me and you, and you will greatly increase your numbers. And then it says, verse 3, three words, Abram fell face down. That is a bodily, physical expression of saying, God, I'm in. I surrender. I'll do it. Whatever you say, I'm in. I surrender control of my life. I surrender my agenda. I, I'm, not, I'm going to stop controlling the outcomes, God. I, I face down. I just kind of place myself in your control. It's all, I, I'm yours, God. Use me. And God said to him, verse 4, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be a father of many nations. Father, the word dad. You mean I'm going to be a dad? Yeah, you're going to be a dad. But not just a one kid. You're going to have a whole bunch of kids. They still have no kids. He's 99. It goes on. Verse 5. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. Now, I told you in this story, names going to be very important. He says, Abram, not only am I giving you a new life. I'm giving you a new name to symbolize what I'm doing with your life. Now, that word Abraham in the Hebrew is an anagram. And an anagram, we change up the words that comes up in the Hebrew, is the father of many nations. That's it. For those of you who don't know what an anagram is, for example, uh, here's in English, uh, here's an anagram of what I'm in our modern day, Britney Spears. You know what Britney Spears is an anagram for? Anybody know? Anybody know? Here it comes, Presbyterians. And you're going, God, I didn't do that. Who did and who cares? <laughs> I mean, somebody had a lot of time on their hands to figure that out. Well, Pastor, what does that have to do with the sermon? Nothing. I just thought it was interesting, so I just kind of threw it in there. <laughs> you know, that's a lot. So, so, so you have Abraham as an anagram for father of many nations. That's what he says. That's what you're going to do. And then he said, still no kids. Nothing. Nada. I will make you very fruitful. He's going back to Adam and Eve. What did he first say to Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and multiply. You'll be very fruitful. That's what I want you to do. And then the world goes to hell in a handbasket. And every kid that's born, it seems like the world gets worse. And God says, you know what? I'm going to start all over. I'm starting all over. I'm going to create a brand new community, Abraham. And I'm going to do it through you. So go be fruitful. Go multiply. And then down here in verse 9, still no kid. He renews the covenant. He said, here's what I want you to do. Here's the covenant. I want to remind you of the covenant, Abram. I want you to be blameless. Walk faithfully with me. Just do what I ask you to do. I'm going to release my power in your life. And I'm making this promise with you. You know, new life, new name, and everything like that. Not only that, but his wife. Down over there in chapter, verse 15 of chapter 17, God also said, you know, Abram, your wife, Sarah. I'm going to give her a new name. And no longer is it Sarah, it's going to be Sarah, which means princess. And it says right there, she's going to be the mother. She's going to be mother of many nations. Kings, it says, kings will come from you. And so now things are just kind of heating up right here. So over here in chapter 18 of this story, just one chapter over, uh, Sarah is in the tent. And God shows up again, still no kid. No power, no kid. 
And Sarah's in the tent. She hears God show up again. I want to tell you again, you're going to have a kid. This time next year, you're going to have a kid. And Sarah overhears it. She was listening. And down in verse 12, she said in chapter 18, Sarah laughed to herself. Duh. (laughs) Of course she's laughing. That word laughter is going to come back in the story. Hang on to that. Do not forget that. Do not forget that. It's going to come back. After all, I'm worn out. And my Lord is old. Back in the ancient world, wives called their women's lords. Aren't you glad, ladies, that we no longer do, do anything like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Verse 15, Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I didn't laugh. And God said, you did too. Hey, ladies. Man, wouldn't you laugh? I mean, how else can you hear that? It's it's some sort of joke. I'm in the geriatric ward, and now you're going to move into crib? Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm going to have a baby, and Medicare's going to pay for it? I'm going to turn that in, expect them to pay for it? Yeah, right. Go figure. That's really going to happen, right? I'm going to go to the grocery store. At the same time, I'm going to buy Pampers and Depends. Really? That's what I'm going to have to do, right? I'm going to go to the store, and I'm going to buy strained vegetables because nobody in the house has a single tooth in their mouth? Yeah, right. Of course she laughed. You would, too. You'd think, nothing but a joke. God played a oh, yeah, right. Still no kid. The question you've got to go back to is verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Time passes. Another year. Over in Genesis chapter 21, Sarah wakes up, feeling a little nauseous. Queasy. She has a craving for bluebell vanilla and pickles. Her yoga pants are getting tight. She has a kid. God has a sense of humor and says, name him Isaac, which is an anagram for laughter. And in verse 6, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Here's what I want you to wrestle with. Here's the question back over here in 18, uh, verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? You should have that underlined and starred and memorized and noted. Well, you can go back to it to your Bible anytime. Genesis 18, 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? And I want you to really, re- don't give me just a church answer. I want you to really think about it. How you live your life when it gets hard. How you respond to situations when things out of your control start happening. How do you Behave. How do you act? How do you carry yourself? What do you think? How do you pray? Be careful. Really think about what you really believe and how you live your life. Now, if you say, if you really think, well, the answer is no, but there's something too hard for the Lord, I will tell you this, that I don't care how successful you are, 
and how lucky you have been. There will come a day in your life, if you believe that anything is too hard for the Lord, well, all you will feel is despair, and that's all you'll have left. But if you are someone who says, no, nothing is too hard for the Lord, and you really believe that, your life can fall apart and go to hell in a handbasket, and you can still have hope. Because the Bible is very clear when you read what this book has to say. Next thing in your notes, that nothing is impossible. Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing. But you really got to figure out what you really believe about that and stop giving the little pat church answer. Do you live that way? So here's what I want to do. In the time that we have here before we come to this table, I'm going to do a little quick little survey of the Bible. I'm going to point out all the different ways that I think that the Bible shows that the power of God, that God has the power that nothing is too hard for God. Okay? That's what I want to do. So we're going to go through this very quickly here. Going to kind of walk through the Bible, the place that God has the power and what this Bible has to say about it. And here's the first one. God has the power to make everything from nothing. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created, and there was nothing in the beginning. Absolutely nothing. Now, sometimes people think, oh, I'm a scientist. I'm a scientist, and I know all about science, and I know what's been going on, blah, 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 blah. And some people think that science kind of diminishes the need for an idea of God or the power of God. And I would suggest that science reveals the greatness of God. It doesn't do away with God. Scientists will tell us that 14 billion years ago, there was something called this little thing now we call singularity, that there was a, something as small as a pinhead, and it exploded. Nobody knows why. They can't answer the question, why, 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 why? I can tell you why, because God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let there be stars in the sky, and there were stars in the sky. And God said, let there be animals and beasts of the field and fish in the sea, and there was. From a tadpole to a, to a, to a great big giant a sperm whale, from a centipede uh, to a giant elephant, God created all these species from nothing. And when a sparrow falls from a tree, the scripture says that he knows that out of nothing, he has created everything. That's the kind of power our God has. In your notes, God has the power, letter B, to stop the unstoppable. Daniel's in a lion's den. He stops the mouth of the lion from eating him up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the fiery furnace, and he stops the fire from burning them up. Uh, the children of Israel, they're walking, and they got the Red Sea right about to swallow them up, and he just parts the waters, and he makes a wall out of the water so they can pass on through. And then he takes the walls around Jericho, those walls that were standing, he made them come down because to stop the forces that were in play. Our God can stop a storm with the word. He can stop a giant with a single slingshot. He can stop the sun in the sky as he did for Israel because they needed more time. Our God can stop the unstoppable. Let her see our God has the power to guide the misguided. He guided the people of Israel by a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke by day and night. God guided uh, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, 
Moses through uh, the thunder on high. He, he'll, guide, he'll guide anybody. He will guide you right now. If you ask him now, God, would you please give me wisdom? God, give me wisdom for my future so I would know what you have in mind. God will give you that if you ask him for it. God guided the apostle Paul to Macedonia so the gospel could be spread throughout Europe. God guided Philip to an Ethiopian eunuch so the gospel could be spread throughout Africa. God has the power, letter D, to redirect the mistaken. Jonah was mistaken. He thought he could not do what God wanted him to do, and so he refused to go to Nineveh. But God redirected him. He suspended the laws of nature and caused a storm to come into being. And this well comes up and swallows this guy Jonah who threw thrown into the water. And before there was any GPS, God directed that well to Nineveh and redirected Jonah to exactly where he wanted to go and had him do exactly what he wanted to do because God has the power to do it. God has the power to do whatever God wants to do. He gave courage to Esther and humility to Joseph and eloquence to Moses and wisdom to Solomon and amazing strength to Samuel. And when David sinned against God and against his wife and against his, his servant. God could convict his heart to go to his knees and to ask for God for forgiveness, and God received it. God, God poured his grace upon him and restored him into his kingship. God can do whatever God wants to do. God has the power, letter, letter E, to humble the mighty. Pharaoh was puffed up. He thought he was the most powerful person on earth, and he was. And God sent plague after plague after plague after plague and said, let my people go. He said, no. And after number 10, he said, okay, you can go. Nebuchadnezzar, most powerful man on the earth. At one time in the scripture, he looks back and he looks over Babylon. He said, look, look, look what I built. Look what I did. Just like some of us here in this room do. Some of us watching online are true worth do. You go, hey, look what I built. Look what I did. You go, wow, I'm just kind of admiring what I did. Isn't that, look, isn't that great and awesome? And all of a sudden you read the scriptures over in Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar. He loses his sanity. Any of you ever feel like you're losing your sanity? See, you think your sanity is just your little old deal. No, God has the power to get into your mind. You know, your brain actually doesn't belong to you. Your brain belongs to God, and God programmed your brain. God, Lord, giveth, the Lord taketh away. And somehow, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, he kind of, all this pride and ego and what I did, it loses his sanity. And so much so, he, he ate like, like an animal. It says right there in the scripture, he, he grew hair like feathers. His nails were like the claws, claws of a bird. But at a certain point, his eyes went toward heaven, the scripture says, and his sanity was restored. And it says at the very end of that whole chapter, those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. God has the power to humble the mighty. We're told like this by Charles Spurgeon. I love the way he puts it right here. Every man has a choice. Every woman has a choice between being humble and being humbled. Letter F, our God has the power to speak through any means. God spoke to Moses through a burning bush. 
God spoke through another king to handwrite it on the wall. You ever seen, heard the phrase, well, I guess the handwriting's on the wall? That comes from the Bible, that God spoke to a king just by handwriting on the wall. God has the power to speak through the Holy Spirit, the Scripture says. Where young women and young men have visions. And old men and old women have dreams. God has the power to speak through the Bible. The Bible's been translated five times more into all the languages than, than, than any other book that's ever been written. This book called the Bible. And in this book, it has kind of a funny story of how God, I say how God can speak. Says God can even speak through a donkey. Balaam had this prophet. God had this prophet named Balaam. And he just wouldn't listen. He, would, he, would, he wasn't paying attention to what God, what God was talking. And he kept on going the wrong way. And he wasn't paying attention. So God sends an angel to get him to stop. And he doesn't stop. Because he just ignores him. So God speaks to his donkey. And the donkey is aware of what God is doing. And he keeps kind of going the opposite direction of what Balaam wants him to do. And, and Balaam gets all upset with his donkey. And he starts beating his donkey. And God doesn't like the fact that he's beating his own animal. And so he opens the donkey's mouth. And it speaks over Numbers 22 verse 30. And the donkey says, am I not your own donkey? Which you've always ridden to this day. Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? Church, if God can speak through a donkey to get someone's attention, God can speak however God wants to speak. Are you listening? And of all the ways, of all the ways, of all the ways that God has made his power so perfectly clear for you and me to see it, it is through a man named Jesus. That in your notes, God's power through Jesus, he has given the power to forgive sin and give people a fresh start. That through Jesus, the power to heal the blind and the deaf and the mute to speak and the lame to walk. And fish and loaves multiplied to feed thousands of people. He had the power to stand outside of a grave and say, Lazarus, you come out. He has the power to go into a grave himself and walk out three days later. That is the power of our God. And Jesus taught about it. People would come into Jesus' presence who were beat down by life. They just wanted to quit. They thought they were just going to live in a living hell. This is the way my life has always got to be. Kind of like that guy in Mark chapter 9. And Jesus said, listen, you need to know something. Nothing's too hard for God. Anything. Anything is possible with the Lord. Then the Apostle Paul, this guy who, all full of pride and success and arrogance and resentment and anger about all these Christians and all these churches, he comes face to face with Jesus, flipped his life. The power of God flipped his life upside down, changed his whole life. He changed the whole direction of his life. Started building churches. He was beaten by rods. He was shipwrecked, bitten by snakes, thrown into prison and left for dead. And you know what he said? The most famous line in all of scripture? He said, I can do what? All things. All things through Christ. Strengthens me by his power. 
And then he writes a little letter. He writes a little letter to a church over in Ephesus that were having all this trouble. This church was having all this trouble, all these troubles. And he writes his prayer to him. And if you've not memorized his prayer, you need to. It says, now to him, Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is worth. And kind of look at that verse for a second. I want you to notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, hey, he'll do what we ask. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say he will do more than we ask. It doesn't say he can do more than all that we ask. It doesn't say he can do more than we all ask or imagine. It says he can do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine. Church, church, there is nothing, absolutely nothing impossible with God. Anything is possible with him. And if we were to put a Cumberland Presbyterian frozen chosen, somebody would be saying, amen, shouting, thank you, Jesus, laying on the floor. Hallelujah. But most of us are frozen chosen. Come to church, check off my list, go home. Go to work on Monday. Go to work on Tuesday. Go to work on Wednesday. Go to work, come back, do it again. And you never have pushed the tower, power tilt button to be connected in your soul to know the true power of God in your life. And because you got it backwards. You think once you start following Jesus, you say, I need to start asking him to do stuff for me. But that's not what he told Abram. He said, Abram, you come walk with me and be blameless. And I will do in you. I will do in you. You surrender your agenda. You surrender your plan, Abram. You surrender your life to what, all your outcomes to me. And then I will do amazing, powerful things in your life. So here's my ask of you this morning. When you walk out this door, you're going to get a little card that looks like this. Looks like this. And it's a prayer on it. And it's a prayer just, God, use me. It's just, God, when, when you give your life to Jesus, the prayer is just, God, use me. It's not just this, this, this. That is the power tilt button. That is, the, that is when you get power in your life, when you surrender your agenda, your control of outcomes in your life. And say, God, just use me. So when you walk out the door this morning, here's the ask. Get this little cart. Put it in your pocket. Put it in your Bible. Put it in your nightstand. And every morning, the first words out of your mouth, God, use me. 45 days. I want you to pray that prayer all the way to, at least all the way to, November 13th and 14th, our first full weekend of worship in the new space. Okay? 45 days. That's my ask. Do not miss a single day. Now, to help illustrate the power of this, I want to share with you one of my favorite Use Me Prayer stories. Okay? But that's the ask. Use Me. The prayer's on here. Years ago, there was a man named Doug Coe. He was the founder of the National Prayer Breakfast. He met a guy named Bob. Bob was not a Washington politician. He had no influence. He had no power. Bob and Doug just met. He met Doug, and Doug led him to Jesus. He fell in love with Jesus, started reading the Bible. He started reading the Bible. He said, you know what? The, Bible, the Scripture says, hey, Bob, uh, Doug, when you read the Bible, it says that God answers prayer. 
and that God can do anything that's possible. Is that true? He said, yeah, that is true. He said, but it's not like a blank check. You got to surrender your plan, your agenda, but yeah, you can ask God to do stuff and God will do incredible stuff. Nothing's impossible with God. That, that is true. And he, Bob said, well, you know, I need to start praying. He said, okay, what are you going to pray about? He said, well, you know, I think I'll pray about Africa. He said, that's pretty big. He said, okay, I'll narrow it down to Uganda. So he narrows it down to Uganda. He said, you ever been to Uganda? Nope. You know anybody in Uganda? Nope. But that's what I'm doing. I'm praying for Uganda. And so Bob says, okay. Doug says, okay, Bob, I want you to pray for Uganda for 45 days and don't miss. And if you pray for 45 days, God is going to do something extraordinary in your life, through your life in Uganda. And when God does that, when God does that, you, when when God does that, I'm going to pay you $500 when this is all over. $500 in your pocket when God shows up and does that, okay? okay. But if God doesn't show up and do that, you got to pay me $500. You pray 45 days, I'll pay you $500. God shows up, but if you not pray one day, bet's off. Got it? Got it. Starts praying, 30 days. Nothing happens. Day 32, he's at a banquet. Woman sitting across the table. Starts talking about her orphanage in Uganda. Bob goes... Oh, starts pounding her with questions. And question, question, hey, you sound awful interested in my work. He said, yeah, tell, tell, tell me about it, blah, 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 blah. Hey, have you ever been to Uganda? No. You know anybody in Uganda? No. Why are you praying for Uganda? Uh, some guy's paying me to pray. $500, that's why I'm paying. He's paying me to pray. So uh, he said, well, why don't you want to come to Uganda? Yeah. So he flies to Uganda, gets on a plane, flies to Uganda. He sees the orphanage. He's appalled by the suffering and the poverty. Gets back on a plane to come back. He's still praying, God use me, God use me. Starts writing letters to pharmaceutical companies, multinational companies. Say, you know what, guys? Y'all throw away millions of dollars worth of medicine. Why don't you give it, send it to this little country, this little orphanage there, and uh, you want, they, they need help. Would you do that? So, so they, some of them did. We see millions of dollars. Woman calls him from Uganda. Hey, Bob. Uh, the kids are so excited. They want to have a party celebrating you. You're the guest of honor because the whole orphanage has changed because of you. Will you come and come? Yeah, I'll show up. So he goes, comes back to the party. They honor him. And the president of Uganda is there at the orphanage. He's so impressed what he heard of what's going on. And Bob meets the president of Uganda. He says, hey, Bob, you want to come see the capital? Yeah. So he goes see the capital. Walking around the grounds in this, and out in this cattle guard. It looks like cattle. There are people inside this, in this cattle. He said, who are those people? He says, those are my political prisoners. And Bob simply said, you ought to let him go. Gets on a plane, comes home. He's still praying. Weeks later, Bob gets a phone call from the Department of State of the United States of America saying, is this Bob? Yeah, this is Bob. Hey, Bob, you been to Uganda lately? Yeah, 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 I've been. Hey, did you talk to the president about releasing some political prisoners? Yeah, I did. Yeah. What did you tell him? I said, you should let him go. So, well, we've been negotiating with them for months about letting these, these guys go, and they just got released, and they told us some guy named Bob had something to do with it. <laughs> no influence, not a politician, no money, no power, no power really. Weeks later, Bob gets a phone call from the Uganda president. 
He said, hey, Bob, I'm about to install my new cabinet. Would you give me counsel on the kind of people I should choose to be under me in power and influence? Would you? Would you? Sure, I'll be happy to do that. So he kind of gives him counsel to select his cabinet for this whole nation in Uganda. And then Bob entered and says, hey, listen, why don't you come to the United States and I'll show you around. So, okay, I will. So, he, so pray Uganda comes here. Bob introduces him to Doug. Doug introduces him to Jesus. He gets baptized, gives his life to Christ, goes back to Uganda as the president, as a born-again, sold-out believer in Jesus Christ because one man just simply prayed, God, use me. We are the church. The body of Christ on planet earth at the power of the Holy Spirit. And we get to see cool stuff like that. People in another nation who are so far from God come to know Jesus Christ and changes everything. If you know the history, it changed everything because of one man. We get to see married couples come into this church. It's crushed. God gets in the middle of their stuff. First, I want you to know something. God's not finished. He doesn't want any child left behind. Not any single child. He doesn't want any school not to be resourced. He doesn't want any neighborhood to be unsafe where kids have to live in fear. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want any marriage to be shipwrecked. He doesn't want any addict to be stuck for the rest of their life in a living hell. He doesn't want any sinner to not experience the saving grace of Jesus Christ. He wants nobody, nobody to be disconnected from his power. I'm asking you, Get this prayer. With no expectations of outcomes. And just pray that God will use you. Somehow, some way. God will use you. To be a blessing. Like he said to Abram, I'm going to bless you so you can the whole world can be blessed. There's no other reason to live but to be a blessing to other people. That's the meaning and purpose of life, is to be a blessing to others. So that's my ask. And you pray that prayer for 45 days and if God does not do something extraordinary in you I'm going to have Melissa Moe to pay you $500 <laughs> that's not going to happen Jesus Son of God this is my body Just use me, Father. He said, just use me. Just, just use me. He said, okay, I'm going to use you. Whenever you eat this bread, please remember that. It is the cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood, spilled upon the ground for the forgiveness of your sins. I don't want a single person on this earth 
to not know my forgiveness. I'm going to let you just use me, Father. Just use me. Use me. Let's pray. Online, sanctuary, bridge, art. I just invite you to have a posture of just maybe surrender right now. Maybe, maybe you're not even sure if you believe in God. Maybe you're tired of fighting it. And just right now you say, God, I surrender my life. All outcomes, all control, my agenda to your power to be used by you. Forgive me for making my life about me. Forgive me for being a part of the them, the division. Just use me, God. I surrender. God, we thank you for this table which reminds us of your son who surrendered it all was used for your greater purpose to unleash your power on planet earth and to build your church not ours your church and I pray God that as we receive this bread and receive this juice that you will nourish us and equip us and your power will begin to be unleashed within us again so the world may know of your great love and the power of your grace in Jesus name Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.